this is the Shock Talk Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Jake O'Connor. Today, I'm joined with my good friend, John Peterson. Thanks, Jacob. It's good to be here. Yeah, glad to have you on for Five Analysis. So we're going to be giving you guys a two-part episode here of, of the recording that Michael Staub sent over to us. Uh, so today, we're going to be showing you uh, the first recording, which is a little bit of his time with Cassini and then the Opportunity Rover. And John will provide some analysis after he plays this clip. Okay, so I'm going to start with uh, question number one. So you have here, you've recently left NASA to take a position with Blue Origin as, uh, as a senior fault management and system autonomy engineer in advanced development programs. Before we talk about this new professional adventure of yours, please give us an overview of your time and overall job duties at NASA. And what couple of things, uh, yes, this is a bit of an unfair question to make you single out just a few, but what couple of projects during your time at NASA meant the most to you. Um, so when I was at the, uh, the NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory, um, I had a number of different job responsibilities and that was, was kind of due to the fact that um, I was on uh, the, uh, two of the missions that I was originally on. Um, they both met their, their end of mission uh, <laughs> fairly fairly early when I came on. So uh, my, my first mission uh, ended after a little over a year and a half. And the second mission that I went on um, also ended after about two years when I when I came on. Um, so that was just how how um, how projects kind of work, you know, spacecraft, they get they get old, and they eventually meet, you know, they get to the end of their life and, and uh, the missions, the missions end, and we, we sort of move on um, to other programs. Um, well, while I was at, uh, at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, um, my first job, I was um, I was what was known as a flight controller or an ACE for the Cassini mission at Saturn. So I was uh, primarily responsible for the command and control aspect of the mission. So I was the person that uh, sat in a control center at JPL. We called it the dark room. Um, I was the person that sent commands to the spacecraft. I was the person who first saw data come back from the spacecraft. I trouble uh, troubleshooted anomalies, and you know I was basically the, the person that was there to take care of the spacecraft, um, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Whenever um, whenever Cassini was was broadcasting data back uh, back through the deep space network, I was the person uh, that was there that was uh, that was listening to. Uh, what she was sending back to us and telling us how she was doing. And, you know, if she had any problems, um, I was the first person there to, um, to, uh, to recognize what was going on with the spacecraft and to get the appropriate people involved who could, you know, help troubleshoot and, and figure out what was wrong with her. Um, overall, great, great spacecraft to fly. Um, she gave me very little trouble in the roughly 18 months I was there. Um, so after Cassini ended, in uh, September of twenty, it, September of twenty seventeen, um, I moved over um, to the Mars Exploration Rover Program, which was still operating. Um, one of the two twin rovers, uh, in this case, it was Opportunity, um, uh, going on now fourteen years on the surface of of Mars. Um, I came over there from my now flight controller. Uh, responsibilities uh, at, now as a flight director and one of the systems engineers for the mission. Um, so basically in that job, um, responsible for basically the overall systems knowledge for the spacecraft. So we um, we were responsible for um, assessing the, the data that came down from the vehicle to determine um, what its state of health was, how it was doing, uh, how it... Uh, 
how it performed the previous day's activities. Um, we did a lot of the analysis uh, for a lot of, um, for like the thermal and the power and a lot of those, those subsystems to kind of give us an overall idea of, of how the spacecraft was doing. We also uh, were the individuals that um, created the engineering sequences. So if we were doing any kind of unique um, engineering activities like calibrations or, um, or uh, setting the communication windows or, or various little engineering tasks like that, we were the ones responsible for developing those sequences as part of the uplink process. And we would, we would include those with the other uh, science investigations the, the rover was doing that day. And we'd bundle all that together and that would get sent off to the rover to execute every day. Um, and the last part of the job was um, as the flight director. So uh, when, the, when the deep space network was in contact with the vehicle, um, I was one of the individuals who would be responsible for uh, the uplink of those, those, uh, those, those command files. Not the person who sent the files, but it was the person that uh, you know, would assess the data as it first came down, determine if the vehicle was in a correct state to receive its, its new command load. And then we would, you know, um, send the send the data up to the rover and it would execute it and then we uh, you know repeat the process the next day we'd get the data down we'd assess it we'd make the new uh, uh, the new plan for the next day we'd get everything built we'd send it back up to the space so that was going on for for you know a good eighteen months and then um, we got hit with the dust storm which I'll I'll talk about in a <laughs> you know in a second um, but uh, we got we got hit with a dust storm, and uh, the mission was officially called in February of twenty. Uh, let's see, it would been twenty nineteen. Um, after about an eight month effort to try and uh, recover and hear from the rover again, we never we never did hear from opportunity again. And so that was the end of, of that mission. So I've I've been at JPL for um, you know a little over uh, three years now, and um, I'm now on to my my third mission. And you know it's just like I said, it's just kind of how these things work as as missions come and go. You know. You, Get, you get sort of moved around to other programs. And, and after opportunity had ended, I moved on to, um, I moved on over to the, the NISAR mission, the, the NASA uh, ISRO uh, uh, Synthetic Aperture Radar Mission, um, which is still, still in development. It's, I believe, supposed to launch, um, I believe, next year, sometime in uh, early, early next year or the spring of next year. Um, it is basically a mission that's um, going to be study uh, the planet. It's going to be studying the Earth and understanding the Earth system and how that relates to uh, to the changing climate. It's meant to be, you know, another another way for uh, for scientists to understand how the Earth system is changing over time. Um, and in that role, I took a very different approach. Instead of being an, an operator, instead of being a, a flight controller or a flight director the, the, on the team that was building the commands that went to the spacecraft every day and was assessing how the spacecraft was doing. Um, in this new role, I, I moved into development. So now instead of operating spacecraft, I was now designing spacecraft. Um, and for this mission, I uh, took on my first um, opportunity as a, as a flight, or not as a flight director, as a, um, as a fault protection engineer, which is pretty much what I, what I do for what I do now um, at Morgan and what I also did in Northrop Grumman. I mean, in that role, um, basically responsible for figuring out how the system works. So uh, understanding, you know, what kind of, what kind of autonomy does a spacecraft require? And autonomy is just, um, autonomy is, is just, um, 
actions that we want the spacecraft to perform when it's not in contact with, with the ground, when there's not an operator physically sending a command to tell it what to do. Uh, so it's figuring out, you know, what, what are the kind of autonomous behaviors does, does the spacecraft need? And what kind of fault protection does it need? Does it need? So if a spacecraft, you know, were to have a, a problem on board, we need to figure out ways of, of how do we how do we detect that there's a problem on the spacecraft? And then we figure out, you know, what are the types of, of actions we need to take to prevent that fault from becoming something worse and creating uh, that that could lead to a failure of a device or worse could create a hazard that could lose the mission. Um, so in that role, I, I kind of got my first taste of what fault protection was, which is uh, now what I do for, for Blue Origin. Um, but in terms of the, you know, the, the, it, the two missions really that stick out to me the most are the ones that I first talked about, Cassini and, and the, the Opportunity Rover. Um, Cassini, being able to work as a flight controller, that was sort of what I thought was a, was a uh, you know, a job that I always wanted to work when I was a kid. You know, I grew up, um, grew up in the space shuttle era and, you know, was, it was kind of glued to spatial missions, especially watching mission control. And, you know, I thought, you know, I always wanted to be a, a flight controller and a flight director. I want to be someone that sat in the room and, and was actually part of, of, of missions. So to me, it was, it was kind of like a bucket list job and is amazing. Right, right out of finishing my master's at Georgia tech. That was the very first, <laughs> that was the very first job I got to do was uh, to control a spacecraft and, you know, I, I only got to, to be on the mission for, for 18 months, but, you know, it was, it was a dream come true to be able to, to, um, to operate a spacecraft like that and to have such a, a huge amount of responsibility of, of protecting this, this billion, or I'm sorry, not billion dollar, this, this $3 billion spacecraft um, and, and being given the keys after only six weeks of, of, of training to, to control the spacecraft. It was, um, it was a dream come true. And I, I absolutely loved it. I, I didn't like the, the late nights, especially the, the holidays and, and the third shifts. Those, those were very tough, but Cassini was a great first mission to, to kind of get broken in to, to being a practicing engineer. And I, I absolutely loved the team I worked with. They were, they were the best. And, uh, it was, it was very sad when the mission ended because, uh, uh, the, Cassini, we we got her through the the last uh, couple of months of her her disposal orbits, and then she she went into Saturn's atmosphere um, September September fifteenth of, of twenty seventeen, and and that was on a Friday. And uh, the following Monday, I came in, and uh, you know there was no more data from Cassini, and and I was on I was on the Opportunity uh, program at that point because you know there was as a flight controller, there's no more spacecraft to to take care of, so. Um, kind of a bittersweet ending, but uh, absolutely loved that first mission. And then for the Opportunity Rover, um, you know, I I remembered in high school that I had always wanted to. Um, I remember watching the the Opportunity Rover land, both both very an opportunity actually. Um, and I thought that's such a cool mission. I I would love to work on something like that. And I I can't wait to get to that point. Never imagining that. Uh, <laughs> You know, 13 years later, you know, I'd be a still pretty fresh engineer, and and here's this this flight director opportunity for this rover that I remember watching land as a as a high school, and I thought, oh, that's this is so cool. How can I pass this up? And it was a it was a great learning opportunity, 
to kind of see another side of operations instead of just being the person that set the commands up, uh, to be someone who had to understand how the system worked and all the little intricacies of, of how a spacecraft you know operates. Um, learning a lot of the different tech, a lot of different skills of, of how to how to process data, how to how to build commands, um, how to be responsible as a flight driver because there's more responsibility than as a flight controller. And then, uh, you know, I, I mentioned that we were going to talk about the dust storm. And then um, when when this this planet circling dust storm hit and opportunity was in dire straits, um, you know, I was I was basically fell into uh, you know role that I was I was basically the, the recovery lead for that entire eight months. We tried to get the spacecraft back and, you know, sort of sort of fell into a, a lead. The uh, opportunity is really last lead flight director. And the the activity lead to try and figure out how to how to get an opportunity to to talk to us again. It um, it was a great learning experience. Um, it was it was tough because I I had a just this very close attachment to this rover because you know again it was it was something I remembered seeing as a high schooler and I you know I was very attached to try and get get this rover to talk to us again. Mars had other other ideas in mind, but. Um, those those two experiences, Cassini and, and Opportunity, um, are something that uh, I I will remember for the rest of my professional career. So I thought this was really interesting, John. Uh, that he first saw Cassini when he was nine years old, and he's kind of been tracking it. And then eventually, you know, he gets thrown in on short notice, but he gets to actually work on the spacecraft. Uh, to have done that, to to have seen it when he was younger, and kind of grow up with it and feel that attachment. I thought it was just a really cool experience kind of coming full circle for him. Yeah, it's it's really cool to look at how that dream kind of manifested itself and he ended up working on the rover that he dreamed about when he was a kid. I think that, you know, is so cool and it's what every kid dreams about. So it's, it's really cool. Yeah, it's, to have spent the time on that spacecraft and it went to Saturn and then, you know, unfortunately it didn't make it back. It right. didn't land, uh, but to still have had that time. And then now he got to eventually move on and go to the Opportunity Rover, which was the one that went to Mars. Right. Um, must have just been a surreal experience. Yeah, and, and it was kind of cool because in Cassini, he was a flight controller. So he was controlling Cassini while he was flying through space or in orbiting Saturn. And um, on the Opportunity Rover, he was more design kind of data collection, stuff like that. So it's kind of cool that he got both parts. Of right. The, the system and, and with the opportunity rover i mean that's a three billion dollar spacecraft yeah to have been responsible for that it, I, I can't even fathom that i mean you you heard it in his voice he was there 24 7 if something was wrong he was coming into the into the uh into the lab to figure it out he talks about the late nights having to miss holidays having to you know constantly be you know just aware of what was happening at all times having that communication back and forth with the rover i can't imagine the you know amount of stress that i would have felt in that situation definitely and it's stress from your family it's stress from the team the team's counting on you to keep everything going so they can keep collecting data and everything like that well right and then that that storm hit the dust storm and he then kind of headed up the rescue team right. so you know to add on top of that you now have a dust storm You're, you've lost communication with your spacecraft and you got to try and revive that connection. Um, it must have been exhilarating and exciting, but you probably could only have that analysis looking back on it. You don't probably don't feel the way in the moment. All you can feel is I got to get this back 
I got to get this back. Right. It's because, you know, you can't just send another one in a couple months. It's it's years of preparation to get that rover there. And it's a $3 billion investment. So it's not just I'm going to, you know, swap this out real quick, like a little piece on a tire. Like you got to. <laughs> exactly. You got to work with what you got. You got to plan that one out. Definitely. So that was, you know, an exciting episode, a two-parter, as I mentioned before. I'm excited for us to uh, break down this second one in the next episode for you guys. Michael shares some more exciting insights uh, about what is to come with him working with Blue Origin. Uh, that's Jeff Bezos' company. And I'm looking forward to you guys hearing that. So make sure you tune, tune in next week to another episode of the Shark Talk Innovators podcast.